Welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. Thank you for joining us as we work to recover the dignity and mission of vocation. Learn more at metronmanager.com. Okay, welcome to the Metron Manager Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Nowlin. Today we have the privilege of having the President and CEO of Operation Mobilization, Andrew Scott, with us. He's also the co-founder of Scatter Global Group. So, Andrew, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Jonathan. I so appreciate your uh, invitation uh, to be part of this and also what you're doing with the Metron Manager Podcast. Uh, project initiative. It's just exciting to see another voice uh, speaking so clearly about what we're talking about. Amen. Thank you. That's uh, very encouraging. So I want to I want to lay out a little bit of the background of, you know, why I find this extra interesting to me, this discussion, because I was actually fairly familiar with Operation Mobilization growing up. So I grew up as a missionary kid in Youth with a Mission or YWAM, as some would call it. And I was always aware of Operation Mobilization. It was kind of this name out there that we had always heard as a kid. And I grew up overseas, so I was in remote areas of the world. So it's kind of familiar. Uh, Granted, I didn't know much about OM, as we referred to it, other than folks in my circles always spoke highly of the organization. And I was not aware of Scatter Global, though, until a couple years ago. That was fairly new to me. And I first heard about it at the Chinese Mission Convention in Baltimore at the end of 2019. And I actually came across your book titled Scatter as it was being sold next to my book at the conference bookstore. There weren't many English books, so I checked out the selections and the title immediately grabbed me. So as I previewed it, I realized that this was the first time I'd come across a book by another missions leader that had a paradigm so similar to my own and to my own writing and to my latest book called Managing Your Metron. And after I read the book, I realized God was orchestrating some kind of connection with you all at Scatter Global. And later into the COVID crisis, I felt God impress on me to reach out to your organization. And wow, I discovered we had so much synergy around theology of work and the future of missions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Jonathan, I think uh, we uh, probably had a similar journey. We, we heard about what you're doing and uh, thought, okay, who is this guy and where did he come <laughs> from? And we looked up your work and thought, he's using the same language. He's talking about the same things as we are. We need to connect. And, and I think, you know, as, as someone once said, uh, when God is doing something, he doesn't give the idea to one person, to Amen. just one person. That's right. And I really do believe that God is... Of course, we know he's always at work, but he's doing something in this space because it's coming from many voices. And you're certainly one of those voices that has been working hard to articulate it clearly, concisely, where uh, the uh, Jesus follower can understand their place and their role in the mission of God. So we're, we're excited about connecting with the Metro Manager and your work. 
That's great. That's great. Uh, yeah, very encouraging to know you're not alone out there in the ocean of Holy yeah. Spirit inspired ideas, you know. Uh, <laughs> so let's touch a little bit on your book called Scatter. And I love the, si- the subtitle, Go Therefore and Take Your Job With You. That's brilliant. Um, I think a lot of people aren't probably familiar, at least in our region, with the book yet, though I've shared it to some degree. Um, so in order for someone in a leadership role like yourself to put forward a directional book such as Scatter. It's a pretty heavy hitting book. There must have been some kind of catalyst in that process. That as an author gets me curious, you know, what drove that? And then I watched your webinar series and I remember you sharing a really significant moment. I, I probably don't remember it totally accurately, but it was a moment you had while working in the Middle East. Uh, when you realized the mathematical impossibility of making even a limited impact in the Muslim world, as an example, if missions was dependent on the existing model. And can you share a little bit more about that moment or other catalytic moments in this process? Yeah. Yeah. You're good, good memory, Jonathan. Yeah. I, I, one, one of the, one of those moments for sure that you're referencing right now, I was over visiting some of our team over in that part of the world. We were sitting in a coffee shop in one of the those big malls in the Arabian Peninsula. And I find myself just watching the crowds of people walking past me. And of course they were dressed in all sorts of di- different ways because of this particular country. It was quite a diverse uh, array of people and, and uh, dress codes, but there was certainly many in the dish dashes and the obayas and the full covering or partial covering of faces, etc. And uh, it was just crowds and crowds of people filing past me. And I was struck, as I have been many times when I've observed crowds in different parts of the world, with this reality or this thought that the vast majority of these people don't know another believer. They don't know a Jesus follower, and the vast majority have never heard a clear ex- uh, expression of the gospel in a, in a context, in a language, and in a uh, representation that they'd understand. And I know that we just have a handful of people in that part of the world, and I know right. if you added up all of the mission agencies together, there's still only maybe a big handful of people in that part of the world. I thought, how on earth can we change this reality when we know that the the number one reason these uh, you know folks are coming to faith whether it's from a buddhist a muslim or a hindu background is because they see the life of another believer now this was true in the early church it's true today this apologetic of a life lived well along the principles of the kingdom is the the greatest attraction into Mm. the kingdom they can't argue with that but there's nobody there doing that or there's only a handful of people doing it and so often in roles that are quite covert and can't be expressive in, in, in clear ways often. Now, I do know, you know, their, their hearts are, are great. They're doing a, a wonderful job in so many ways. But the reality is a small number and they're quite isolated in society, not certainly in the heart of society and the different sectors of society. So I was just filled with this overwhelming feeling. How on earth can we change the trajectory of the least reach with just uh, the current model of mission that we're using. I think that was one of those catalytic moments, Jonathan. Yeah, I hear that. That's a really compelling uh, testimony, actually. And, you know, I've had a few of those type of moments myself on the field over the years, and they do really move you. They become like a, a I would call them maybe a catalytic push or something. And, right. you know, 
as an author, of course, I always circle back to, you know, writing and content. I'm about all about ideas and trying to find out what God's thinking and do so myself. Um, So what would be like, what would you say was uh, a significant factor to put this in that drove you to put it into a book? So I know that in my latest experience, uh, with writing and, and the latest book I did on theology of work, the real sen- there was a real sense of God pushing me all the time to write the right. book. Like I couldn't turn it off. It was always a push. So I was just curious as an author, you know, what was a push <laughs> for you? Right. Well, let me, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll give a little backstory and then I'll, sure. um, I'll a- answer your question clearly because there was another catalytic a push moment that I think was equally as significant to that mm. moment you referred to uh, was whenever the leader from that part of the world that I was sitting in was in my office here in the U.S. And we had just finished our strategic planning process back in 2011, 2012. I had just become the president a couple of years earlier. Outside consultant helped us put this together to do more of what we'd always done, only with a shinier veneer on mm. it and a little bit more energy towards it. And he said... Uh, two things to me. The first one was uh, there will be no traditional missionaries in the Muslim world within 10 years. Wow. And I remember thinking, well, stuff, that's the only, we've just come up with a plan to send you a whole bunch more <laughs> of those people. Tell me more. And he, and he said, well, they're not going to get in. You know, the governments are, are cutting back access. There, you, there's no such thing as a missionary visa anymore. Uh, there's the tourists, the, the, the perpetual tourists or student visas are being, being, seen as for what they are and the governments are cutting back. So they're not going to get in. Okay. Well, I had enough pragmatic mission experience to think, well, surely we can come up with a few clever ways to get around that. Right. But then he said something that completely rocked my Mm. world. I had no paradigm. I had no frame of reference. I had no theological underpinning for this. And that was, he said, the Filipino maids have done more for the spread of the gospel in the Muslim world than all of the traditional missionaries put together. Wow. Wow. And I went, okay, you need to help me with this one because wow. my paradigm of mission says missions will be done by a, uh, a few specially called highly trained individuals who will leave their job, get trained to go do this thing we call missions and ministry. Right. That's how we will do mission. You're telling me that a bunch of these uh, ladies, nothing, you know, ladies is just, that's what they are. They're maids who have left the Philippine, Philippines for economic reasons, gone to the Muslim world, lived in these homes, have seen, done more for the gospel than that first group. And he said, yeah, they're in the home. They have credible presence. They have a daily relationship with the princesses and their children. And they're just living love out in these homes and sharing love through their words. And, uh, and so that rocked my world. And I, I had to go away, Jonathan, and ask the question, what else have I missed? And so I went on this couple of year journey of asking a lot more questions, going back into scripture and saying, how can it be that that, that has happened, that, that God's using these uh, ladies who had a different motivation to go there, didn't have the training, didn't see themselves as missionaries to do his mission? And of course, I came out the other hand uh, with thinking, okay, what I'm seeing in scripture is actually God made every one of us 
to live on mission with him. And we'll come back yeah, to that, I'm sure, yeah. later in the program. But anyway, I started to piece this together, Jonathan, in, in sort of a framework of my thinking. I'm thinking it's this the paradigm shift is it's not this, it, it maybe it's this, it's not this, maybe it's that. And, and I started to make these paradigm shifts in my own mind. And actually, it wasn't necessarily God pushing me to war. I think he was pushing me towards this way of thinking, but I was in a right. room with Moody, uh, one of the Moody publishing guys. And it was sort of like at the tail end of a meeting. And he said, Andrew, what, what are you thinking about these days? <laughs> and I started to share this. And he looked at me and he said, you need to write a book about this. This is a paradigm shift you're talking about. And you're a mission leader. Yeah. This, this is necessary to get out there. And I laughed at him, quite frankly, <laughs> because I, all I could think about was my English teacher at school going, Andrew Scott writing a book. You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and uh, anyway, they came back to me two, two more times and said, no, we really think you should write this book. And so uh, I realized at that point, you know, God speaks through people. And I thought, you know, maybe God is in this. And if he is, then something will come off it. And so I started. And so that was my push into the book. And I look right. back now and, and still am amazed at, at the journey God brought me on through that. That's amazing. And uh, so you didn't necessarily set out to be an author. You were, <laughs> God kind of cornered you on this idea. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, that's, exactly. that's amazing. And, and at the same time, you're getting this kind of uh, revelation from God on this, this paradigm shift that you're working <clears throat> through. You're also leading Operation Mobilization uh, in some capacity at, at that right. point, right? right. And, and you're a significant uh, influencer, obviously, in the traditional mission circles that you're wrestling with this concept uh, among all of that. So how did you handle that? How did you navigate that? And how did Scatter Global emerge right. at that point? Right. Yeah, well, I, the book was out. And a very good friend who was a business consultant from Australia read the book. And he called me up and he said, love the book, Andrew, totally believe what you're talking about, but what are you going to do about it? Hmm. You know that the structure you're currently overseeing is not built to do what you're talking about. Right. And I knew that. I knew that, uh, Jonathan. And I just needed a little bit of his, you cannot awaken this idea in people's mind or be part of what God's doing and awakening this in people's minds. And then say good luck to you in living it out. You need to help <laughs> yes. this facilitate this happening. So yeah. I, I just started to think that through. At the same time, a young man came back from uh, within OM, back to the U.S. office. I recruited him to do something completely different. And I saw in him, he was entrepreneurial. He was a disruptor. And I basically handed him the book and I said, Jonathan, uh, I think we need to do something about this will you work out what that looks like? And I will create the space in the organization. Your budget will not be under our organization's budget. You, you don't have to play by all the same rules as far as uh, the way we hire and everything else. Build the type of team you need to come up with a pathway forward for this here. And so uh, I, I created that space for Jonathan. He reported directly to me, still does. Uh, and and as he started to to build that team and continue to develop the thought, uh, I was bringing the U.S. leadership team and team along. And uh, I would I just thank God for the leadership team we have at OMUSA who are completely bought into this idea. Uh, and yeah, and and so just one other other point in this: the reason we called it Scattergold because I could have very easily said this is the way we will as OMUSA do mobilization. Right. We'll build this tool. Right. 
And I remember really fighting hard in the early days to say, no, we have to make this something that any mission agency, any church, anyone who sees the same things can use. Okay. Uh, and if we brand it OM, then these other organizations will not touch it. But if we if we make it not an organization, but an initiative, if we make it something that's not connected tightly to an organization, they'll be more willing to use it. And that's exactly what has happened. So Scatter okay. Global is an initiative. It's um, You don't join Scatter Global. You don't become a Scatter Globaler or whatever that type <laughs> yeah. be. Uh, we, simply, we simply exist to say, hey, you've been made for the mission of God, why not go live that out somewhere else in the world where God's not worshipped? That's and amazing. we want to help get there. So that's a real distinctive, I would say, right? If we're talking about organizational right. distinctives for Scatter Global, not being necessarily an organization. It's that right. catalytic initiative uh, within that, that. That really serves a lot of uh, opportunities and directions within the body of Christ, like you're saying. Right. And, uh, and and that that's helpful. I think it's helpful for people to understand there's a distinction uh, to a degree with OM and what Scatter Global's doing. And uh, the term that comes to my mind when I kind of got a handle on what you guys are doing uh, as Scatter Global was that old uh, technology term of the Skunk Works project where <laughs> right. yeah. Apple, you know, built the Skunk Works to research and development lab out there with the little black flag <laughs> to see, see right. what happened, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, try it out, try the ideas. And it sounds like you guys had a, yeah. a great go with that. Uh, yeah. And it's been wonderful. Uh, you know, we have learned a lot. We're constantly pivoting. Uh, and, um, and again, the U.S. OMUSA leadership, who I, you know, I still oversee that, uh, and the board uh, are very, very supportive of this direction. And what we're doing is we're seeking everything we're learning in the lab, the Scatter Lab, we're bringing into the U.S. team. And so uh, the U.S. team are applying those principles. So they're mirroring it over in the U.S. OMUSA, but Scatter exists to help every organization, every church, every denomination do this uh, and other countries as well. Uh, so we, we keep that part to, to separately. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's fascinating. And, I, you know, as I think about what you're saying, um, where do you see, like, uh, things are, well, let me back up a little bit. Things are moving really fast on the planet right now. Right. And changes come much faster than people anticipated, especially in the Middle East uh, of late and different things going on. And much of what, you know, your friend in the Middle East said has come true that it's very difficult to do traditional mission right. work in the Middle East, a uh, very accelerated rate. So how do you see uh, Scatter Global's like next phase? I would say like, where where's the next thing you're seeing uh, the, that you're providing or, or the uh, opportunity, so to speak, or the direction for that entity or that ministry? Um, what does it do in this new future we're suddenly arrived in? Right. So there are two basic things that we, uh, two sort of two sort of pillars that we are are building on. One is what we call the activation or the awakening side, where, like you are doing very effectively, we want to be we want to add our voice to change the narrative of mission for a generation, okay. to moving it away from this specially called few people who will leave their job and go join an organization to the idea that if you're a if you're a human being, you were made for the mission of God. Satan tried to distort it and destroy Christ redeemed and restored. So you're on mission. 
right? right? And he's uniquely shaped you to do that. So we want to activate people around that. So that's one pillar, and we're, we're doing a lot of work in that space. And, and these next months uh, ahead are going to be, how do we get more and more content out there to add our voice to the other voices in that, especially as it relates to global mission, that this is not just something that impacts how you do it locally. You Really, you can do the same thing globally where, where no one is showing up. And then the second pillar is building pathways for people to do that, either okay. helping them to find a job, preparing them to find a job, uh, helping companies go global. So in the space of building pathways for people to go live this out somewhere in the world. And so we're, those are the two things we're investing okay. heavily in and experimenting in. What, what does it look like to see an increasing number of people go in those directions. But one of the big things that we're seeing a lot of traction and that's very exciting, and there's a number of things, but let me just mention this one is as it relates to churches. I think many churches today, and COVID accelerated this, COVID exposed this maybe, uh, and that is they're recognizing that that they haven't necessarily uh, made disciples. They've, they've created consumers, not necessarily made disciples. And so they're asking huge questions now. And and mm-hmm. alongside that, we're in discussion with them and we're saying, well, uh, you know, the church's role is to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So you're making disciples. The church's role is to make disciples who will make disciples. And and so what does it look like for you to do that well in your local environment and allow these disciple makers then to live it out in their environment, not to tie that back to the church all the time, because the application is often, yeah, you need to be a disciple maker. So sign up to be a car park attendant on Sunday or a Sunday Mm. school teacher versus you need to be a disciple maker. What does that look like in your factory? What does that look like on the coaching field? What does it look like in the school? And then our our message then comes and say, yeah, when, when people are equipped to do that, what does it look like for that circle to go even further? to be that coach in Abu Dhabi, to be that doctor in Riyadh, to be that school teacher in Kazakhstan. And uh, and so we're finding a, a, quite a number of churches coming and, and engaging us in this conversation and seeing that how we're expressing this blurs the line between local and global, blurs the line, actually destroys the line between discipleship and mission and brings those two things together. And so we're seeing a lot of, and so I want to give a lot of my time, Jonathan, actually to working with those, the leaders of those churches as they are navigating those waters and, and ensuring that mission doesn't get lost in it, that global mission doesn't get lost and pulled together. So that's one of the things we're really wrestling with. Yeah, that's, that's really spot on. I observe, I observe quite a few similarities in my own research and writing and thinking as well. And uh, I, what you're kind of touching on is a, like a term I would use as on mission in your Metron. That's kind of a term right. I coined in right. my writing. And then how do you create missionized uh, believers in every sphere of society or in their Metron exactly. their space? And that, that way, that mental and spiritual breakthrough, so to speak, that has to happen to realize that um, I am called to live on mission in the space that I have is transformational. It's incredibly empowering. And I believe it really does hold to the narrative, the overall narrative of scripture um, and how God holistically understands and views mission. You know, we run into that challenge of uh, the extraction problem of like, in my book, I I just look at it as like 3% 
in the body of Christ that are likely ever called to do anything in a like paid to work as a Christian type of opportunity or environment. Whereas 97% of the body of Christ, that's not even in the offing for them. God doesn't really, even that's not any part of their trajectory or track, but they're still supposed to manage their Metron supposed to really be on mission in that. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that this, this common message we're wrestling with here again is multiple voices trying to get at the same thing. And this is, it is a paradigm shift. It's really pivotal. And, you know, one of the things I appreciated uh, that I heard you say in one of those webinars was this idea that you're, the way you're approaching this is you're not negating certain approaches to the great commission or obedience, but we're using terms like an expanding or a fuller understanding of the Great Commission and really building off of what's come before. I, I know that that's, you know, everyone's heart in this effort is to really honor what exists and then look for what's God's path forward in this era that we're in right now. Would you feel something similar in that? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, uh, we, on, we honor the past and celebrate the past. Huge impact when we look at the world today. Uh, you know, and some people... Uh, get overwhelmed by how much still needs to be done, but we and fail to notice how much has been done by faithful people. So absolutely, I honor the past, but our job as leaders today is to st- steward what was put in our hands. And stewardship is all about investing for the future, right. not maintaining what is. And so I believe it is our job as leaders today to lead like the men of Issachar, where we understand the times in which we live and we act accordingly. Yeah. Um, and, and we have to, Jonathan, we have to realize that not everything that was done in the past, not everything I did three years ago, I would do today That's because I've truth, learned right? some new things that says, Andrew, that, was, that wasn't so wise and that wasn't really that good. Yeah. So we must, we cannot look at the past with rose-tinted glass and say it was all okay. There are lots of things about our history as a modern missions movement we have to address and let go of. Yeah. Absolutely. We also, so that's, that's understanding our history. Understanding our today tells us that, that uh, there are, there are uh, things that are true in our world today that will cause many of the models and methods of today not to work anymore. But yeah. then I also think, and, and maybe this is the most important thing, uh, Jonathan, to me, that maybe wasn't as, it was there in my book, but it's more prominent in my mind today. And that is uh, some of my, I would I just put it down to my theology. I had a re- really, I would say, thin or weak theology of work. It wasn't non-existent, right. but it was, wasn't robust when I wrote Scatter. I, I knew that work was important. Today, I would say that actually God created us to work. And the vast majority of the people of God will live out his purpose of reflecting his glory in the world and reflecting his goodness in the world of bringing light and salt wherever they go. The vast majority of his people will live that out in the workplace. Yeah. Uh, by or design. The, the neighborhood it's, or the community. God's de- by, by design, right? That's God's design. By design. Yeah, yeah. 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 It's not because they're yeah, second so, class so, in the kingdom. They're actually absolutely. first class in their Metron. Exactly, exactly. And, and so, so that's what I would say is that I, got, I maybe needed to make more uh, robust. And so that was one of the big shifts. And Jonathan has been really instrumental in that, just continuing to awaken our minds. And another one of our leaders here called Matt Benson, we're really doing a lot of thinking around uh, the, the, the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom and the theology, the place of work 
in it. And that starts to change so much because then it moves what we're talking about. And some people think this is just the new pragmatic way I want to get people into unreached parts of the world. It has really right. almost nothing to do with that. It is more to do with how do we bring the goodness of God into every sector of society uh, as every follower of Jesus sees himself in that story. That's what I that's what we're about. And that means anyone and everyone who's a follower of Jesus can do this. And it will take people in every sector of society living this out, because otherwise, how will people see and hear the gospel if there's not someone close by them living it out and speaking it out in a way that they understand and in an environment that that makes sense to them? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I have coined this other little term to remind myself, but it actually shows up in some of the projects I'm working on. I ask people the question, you know, uh, is work the way or in the way? It, you know, right. and okay. is, and then I also have a statement I like to use um, that work is the mission. It's not a means to the mission. And right. really, my heart, you know, is really to recover the actual dignity and, and mission of vocation, the actual work right. uh, of our hands that God designed us to do that's so integral in seeing his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And it's so Amen. exciting and empowering to the average believer who feels that they don't qualify for super cool spiritual stuff because they're not part of that 3% that are extracted into full-time Christian right. work of some sort. And it, right. I had a, right. a, a Chinese American um, mission ministry leader gentleman share with me the other day. He said, you know what, after going through, you know, your book and curriculum with our church, he said, what we decided is we can sum it up as you're putting legs under the average believer. It's actually right. putting them back. The dignity is coming back. And the dignity is found in understanding the supernatural, eternal value of work and its role as mission. And so I'm so excited to see where all of this is going because I love to see the life and the light that comes back into people's eyes when they realize that they were made to matter. Like they were designed for this and that they're not disobeying God by working. They're not you know, in some form of disobedience by loving their Amen. career or their vocation. And so I think this paradigm shift is so vital uh, that we're working towards here. And, uh, you know, I, I'm actually incredibly encouraged because I've been, I've been working myself on right. this for years. Yeah. And now I finally found some other people right. that <laughs> share some similar perspective. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Uh, this is brilliant, yeah. you know, and God is up to something. He is. And, you know, so as an expression of the perspectives we're talking about and this understanding and our work here, both with you know Scatter Global, OM, uh, Metron Manager Project, we're collaborating to offer this upcoming Discover right. Global Conference here in Northwest Arkansas. So it's a one-day catalytic workplace mission conference or event, you could call it, be very different than what most people will expect or understand as a mission conference. Uh, and it's all about working professionals who are believers, who are looking to find that dignity and mission and vocation. And so I'm excited that you'll be joining us and some of your team. Um, how, how are you guys feeling about that coming up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's great. We're excited about it, Jonathan. I think, uh, you know, just to your audience that are listening in, if your normal reaction when you hear a missions conference being published is, uh, that's not for me, then this one is for you. That's right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I actually yeah. honestly don't speak in many, if any, mission conferences anymore, because I recognize that this message 
is not for the mission junkies, the, the ones that are uh, are thinking about doing the 3% that you talk about, Jonathan. Uh, I want to be in the spaces and places where people are convinced that God made them to be an engineer, that they're convinced that God made them to be a doctor or a business owner or a hairdresser, whatever that right. is, right? Uh, and they, they are asking the question, how does this fit with my heart to serve God with all of my life? That's the people I want to be, because... God has made you uniquely to fulfill the, the, His purpose uh, on this earth. And so that's what we want to lay out in those, that, that, that brief time together in Fayetteville is just piecing together this picture that you, as an image bearer of God, were made for, the, for one purpose and one purpose alone, and that is to reflect the image of God in the world, to bring His goodness, His glory, His light, His salt, into the places you you are and he has uniquely shaped you to do that he needs you to be uniquely shaped right. he, he couldn't do this if we all looked alike he needed farmers and shepherds you know back in, in genesis two and three but now he needs business people engineers he needs all people people in all sectors of society to bring salt and light in those ways and so this is what that conference is about is to say no you have been made for the mission of god it's not a it's not something you're called into it's something you're made for so I'd love That's to amazing. see you there. But this has been excellent, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time and for joining the program. These insights, I believe, are really crucial to the cause of Christ right now globally and in rediscovering that mission and the purpose and the drive of vocation. So this is great. And I'm looking forward to seeing you at the Discover Global Conference on December yeah. 4th. And we'll see what God does in the middle of all that. Yeah, I'm, I'm laughing, Jonathan, because I'm thinking you're trying to do this all in one day. This is going to be like drinking from a fire, fire hydrant, but I'm sure it's going to be really practical as well as hopefully inspiring and informing as you hear stories and, and, and the scriptures opened up in this new way. So it's going to be a great day. Fantastic. Thanks again. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you for listening to the Metron Manager Podcast, presented by Jonathan Nowlin and the Metron Manager Project. Remember, God has given you permission and a commission to work. Learn more at metronmanager.com.